What did you eat for breakfast? Dick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mick came over too early. I didn't get a chance. I no. have nothing in my stomach. A carrot. You ate one carrot. <laughs> Don't lie. You've been eating carrots. Uh, like baby carrots. Baby carrots <laughs> for baby horses. <laughs> Welcome to Music on Your Own Terms, the podcast that aims to help musicians develop an entrepreneurial mindset through interviews, as well as discussing resources, concepts, successes, and more. Providing a platform to talk about negative emotions such as anxiety and depression in order to help overcome them in the context of music and reduce the social stigma. This is episode 129. This episode is sponsored by Ignite Your Music Career. You may remember in episode 90, I chatted to Craig Dodge about sync licensing and how he makes a living through writing music for TV, video games, and film. Musicians all over the world subscribe to Ignite Your Music Career and earn more royalties, more upfront sync fees, and more recurring revenue from their music. Whether you're a composer, singer-songwriter, band, beatmaker, or instrumentalist, your music can be earning you more money. Internationally acclaimed composer, musician, and music educator Craig Dodge has licensed his music in more than 1,000 TV show episodes, films, video games, and ads all over the world, and he will show you how you can too. Ignite gives you the information you need in a simple, accessible format, and you learn at your own pace. For just $6 a month, you get a video lesson each week on topics related to music licensing, from writing techniques to how to find your markets, and everything in between. You also get tools and activities to build the skills you need to be successful, and each lesson includes a royalty-free sound pack to download and use in your own music. The key to success in the music business today is to diversify your sources of revenue. Ignite will show you how. For more information or to subscribe to Ignite, visit the website at taris-studios.com or click the link on musiconyourownterms.com. Mick and Maxie are a power pop duo from L.A., featuring Mick on guitar and vocals, and Maxi on drums and vocals, taking on various topics related to mental health, combating negative social stigmas, and creating a positive mindset to achieve your goals. We talk about the history of the band, why they decided to take on management so early on, and what the benefits are of a singles-driven model. We also learn about the importance of image and branding, as well as how it can detract from your music in our visual and judgmental world of social media. Finally, Maxie talks about overcoming her self-doubt in becoming a musician later in life and how important it has been to have a circle of friends that support her goals. If you enjoy the podcast and want to show your support, I'd be really grateful if you would consider signing up for the mailing list to stay in the loop with everything going on with the show. Just head over to musiconyourownterms.com and click the link. While you're there, you can also visit the store and grab some merch, or just buy me a coffee and help out with the running costs of the show. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, I am joined by Mick and Maxie. Welcome, and how are you guys doing? Doing really good. Fine morning in LA today. Awesome. (laughs) Still trying to figure out how not to talk over each other on Zoom. It's been over a year. (laughs) Yeah. 
No, it's 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 a pain in the butt, but yeah, we're, we usually get through it. I mean, like I said, when when I edit, it's like alignment, and then you know, half an hour later, and I'm like, no, I already aligned it. This is wrong. So <laughs> the magic of editing will will uh, solve everything. So love it. Well, cool. So tell us about your band. What do you play, and you know, what do you sound like? Okay, well, I'm Mick from Mick and Maxie, so I play guitar and sing. Um, but more recently, Maxie's been picking up singing, too. So guitar, vocals, and... Maxie on drums! I love this trade-off. It plays so well. Uh, we started out with me trying to push for more um, 90s grunge band sound, and I don't know why I was being such a purist about it, because I mm. cannot play, you know, a Travis Barker drum fill to save my life, but uh, Mick, thankfully, was more progressive about mixing in new pop influences and being a little bit more um, just up-to-date, so now we're probably more on the scheme of, I'd say, Machine Gun Kelly. He's been experimenting with mixing pop-punk and a little bit of hip-hop sound with the new Top 40 dance mm-hmm. sounds. So we're here. <laughs> For sure. And I saw you did did a video that where you where you were kind of rapping in a in a boxing ring. Yeah, yeah. That was our last music video, Escape Room. And okay. Mick had encouraged me for a long time to do some lyric writing and rapping and I'm not sure if that's what I would even call it but I do love writing I don't know yeah Maxie's <laughs> also a poet not only a comedian but also a poet so I encourage you to kind of start getting up on the mic with some of that so that's what kind of that last music video was so we're pretty diverse in what we do so. well she was good enough to pick up on the fact that based on my hairstyle I am slowly transitioning into Eminem so uh, yeah. she's really supported and encouraged that <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I see this a lot going forward with the way the music industry has kind of evolved. You know, so long it was, uh, oh, you have to stick to a formula, you have to release albums this way, and you don't want to change uh, too much because people won't like you anymore. But now you've got playlists and collaborations, and you've got the links on everyone's profile, like this is a collaboration with, and it gives you a spider web to go find other artists. And I think... It's singles driven now. As much of a prog, you know, fan I am, I still love album formats and like a concept thing. But you know, from a marketing perspective, having different influences really gives you way more chance of exposing yourself to different audiences, just because people like different stuff. Yeah, I really like to say like our lack of organization with releasing songs and keeping within a genre is just really, you know, trying to be modern. (laughs) We like to call it that too. (laughs) Well, we, um, that's funny you mentioned that because when we started putting together, good job, Mick. Oh God, you're going to have to cut this out. Every time Mick cuts our, um, my voicemails are playing. Every time Mick touches my Bose headphones, um, they start playing things. Oh, God! The sex tapes are getting leaked! (laughs) Yeah, your ears are too big for my ears. Maybe you touch your hair too much. Uh, No! 
<laughs> Sorry, these headphones okay. are touch sensitive. <laughs> I should just like do it. Shout out to Bose for the um for the free headphones. I really do appreciate them. <laughs> they work quite well in my ears. Um, Simon, what you're saying about each song, um, it being singles driven. When we started actually getting our songs produced and put up online, uh, we were doing it one at a time mm. just to try to give our fans somewhere to look for our stuff rather than you know saying we have all these songs. With each one, we were really, we really sit down and go, okay, how do we want this one to sound? We're not so concerned with making it all sound the same. And Mick encouraged that to begin with when I was, I was starting to write and going, does this fit into our catalog of songs? And it's kind of like, who cares? Because we want to make each song its own. We have a vision for each song and it doesn't really have to fit into a greater binding of mm. one, one wash of sound. For sure. Yeah. So I think even though we will be, now that we have this compilation of singles, essentially we're putting it together kind of as an album. So we have that old school feel, but it's really not a lateral growth. It's really like growth in all directions, I think. But I think that's kind of the unifying factor is that it's all over the place. And that's how we like it. That's awesome. Lateral growth, a weight gain journey documented by (laughs) Mick and Maxie. (laughs) Yeah, great. So let's talk about how you got together. Like, how do you guys meet? And then... I, I have a habit of asking too many questions at once. So how'd you guys meet? We love it. It gives us more to talk about. Okay, ahead, Cupid. No. Yeah, okay, Cupid. Okay, get it together, Mick. We are... Uh, Farmersonly.com. Yeah, well, we're opening for the Wiggles, you know, as mostly an interpretive dance troupe. And then... I'm sorry, Simon. You got to shut me down. I could do this all day. Um, we. I. You're losing your headphone. Okay, we're going to have some voicemails soon. Mick and her old bandmates put up a Craigslist ad when I was just a couple years into drumming and very bashful about playing with other people. And we met up and they gave me a chance and I was super green. But I love you anyways, is what they said. (laughs) For Christ's sake. It's staying in my head. (laughs) Shall we just nix the headphones? No, this is mess up the recording. I have my headphones. We are giving Simon so much to edit. I'm not editing anything. I'm I'm gonna put this all in. Yeah, Simon, I am so I cannot keep this headphone in, and every time it falls can out, you I cram touch it in it. further. That's what she said. It starts playing voicemails. Okay, can it go in any further? I don't can you know. cram it in? Ow! <laughs> can you make it reach your throat? Woo! Okay. So you were saying how you guys met. How we got, yes. I love Craigslist and um, I'm always scouring it. And I found an ad looking for a drummer. And I was still so bashful about playing with other people that I thought, oh, someone I find on Craigslist sounds about my level. And that's not to put down, it is to put down Craigslist. I God, I love it. It's my guilty pleasure. But yeah, so Mick and her band were in need of a drummer. And they just said, we need someone who can keep a beat. Doesn't have to be anything fancy. And I was like, bare minimum. Sounds like what I'm up for. So we started playing together. And then slowly the band evolved. And it just became clear that everyone had different kind of goals and visions for their music journeys. And Mick and I had the closest ones. And we've stuck together for a couple of years now because we just continue to find goals that seem to align, I think. Yeah, Mm. kind of broke off from a larger band. Ditch the dead weight. Yeah. 
So I, I saw a, a little compilation clip where you were playing with a, a bass player. So do you, do you have like a, a permanent bass player, a session guy, or just like whoever's available? Yeah, every now and then we'll have like a friend come play bass with us or something. But most of the time it's just both of us, just us two on stage. Um, we do have some people who play bass on the album here and there as well. Mm. So when you do that, do you play to a backing or you just don't like have a, do you have a, like an octave pedal going or something or do you just not worry about it? Exactly. Yeah. We have backing tracks that cover the low end. Okay. So it's really just us two on stage most of the time. So we really, really fill up the stage. (laughs) Mm. Our personalities. So how did you guys get into your respective instruments? I, uh, I had a weird upbringing. I was training to be, um, competitive horseback rider. And so I literally had time for nothing else. And the weirdest pipe dream I had was to be a drummer and my, my parents, you know, ignored it, didn't even take it seriously. So it wasn't until I got to LA to be, um, an actor and comedian that I was like, screw it. I'm going to take some drum lessons. And I was lucky enough to land a teacher, Blake Paulson, who, took it seriously because I was again so shy about being an adult beginner and he took it seriously about getting me show ready and able to sit in with different bands or adapt on the fly and I'm lucky he did because then I started getting gigs playing for other bands in their music videos and then eventually Mm. led to finding Mick and uh yeah I think the I think the inspirational message here is to find someone who believes in you even when you don't (laughs) and that it's never too late yeah um i started playing guitar around the age of 14 and just inspired by rock bands i was like that's how you make that sound that i like and then i've been playing guitar since then and then took it more seriously about the past kind of five years and went through a couple bands and happy to be here with the mick and maxi project at this point i'm her last first kiss yes (laughs) metaphorical did you both move to la or and where are you guys from yeah, so we are both transplants here to LA. We've been here for a while, so the band's based in LA. Um, I'm originally from the Bay Area, so San Francisco area. And I'm from Seattle. I was on the East Coast for a while and then okay. came out to California. So you, you, you moved to LA to, to be an actor and a, and a comedian, so how did that process start? Acting was something I'd always wanted to try and, again, had never had time to pursue. And when I was graduating college, it was that time when people couldn't find jobs people with mm. big degrees were getting starbucks barista jobs like it really didn't matter what you wanted to do or what you're trained for it seemed so i thought now is my chance to just try it for a couple of years and then acting progressed into stand-up and now i've been getting some success with that and um drumming just started as a hobby on the side but i had this little pipe dream in the back right. of my head so thankfully being in la is such a hub for music comedy acting everything that even though they conflict sometimes, it is the only place that if it's gonna all work together, besides maybe New York, that I can actually make it work. She still does her kind of sit down comedy while on the drum set, so. (laughs) (laughs) Did I also see you're a spin instructor? Yeah, my day job for a while has been fitness instructing. Do you spin, Simon? No, I barely, get <laughs> off the I barely get off the chair. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, being being someone who into fitness is is really it lends itself really well to drumming because obviously it's the most physical instrument, really. Yeah, I work up a sweat every time I drum, but that's also a me problem. <laughs> 
Meg, what about you? What what has your uh, daytime job been? Uh, so daytime job, in order to make some money, I uh, teach on the side. What do you teach? So kind of teach. Uh, I teach uh, within the biological sciences, so a wide range of courses all around the greater Los Angeles area. That sounds like you're trying not to say sex ed. <laughs> <laughs> Just biology, gen bio, uh, a couple different classes within the biological sciences. But yeah, basically rooted here in LA. I try to kind of keep my work life and music life pretty separate. Mm. <laughs> but yes, I do teach. Her headshot for school is rocking. <laughs> what have, What do you think you've brought from your respective day jobs? I mean, an actor and, and, and comedian is probably the nearest thing to a musician in general but a teacher you know what do you think you've taken from that experience that you can bring to the music industry yeah you know actually teaching um i have a lot of experience working with people so i stand up in front of i could say my students or an audience of like 75 students Mm. sometimes um when i'm lecturing so i'm pretty experienced with lecturing in front of large audiences similar to being on stage you know students don't like you the audience doesn't like you a lot of good feedback there (laughs) Personally, so between the spin instructing and the comedy, all I do is yell at people on a microphone, so that feels pretty comfortable. But because stand-up is so personal, especially, and even fitness instructing, because I have to put myself out there in order for my clients to meet me halfway, they're doing something very vulnerable, and I have to open myself up back to them as well, and can't just be you know, some superficial, fake, go, go, go person up there, because they're not going to connect to that. And I feel like that's how... I can bring myself to music is compared to stand up, it doesn't actually feel so personal to reveal things in the lyrics or on stage. Mm. And I feel like that gives me an openness and a willingness to share things that some people might be afraid to let the world see. But for me, I'm like, oh boy, I get to sing a song where I know how the words are going to go the entire time. This is like, this is. This is sweet. This is an indulgence compared to a stand-up set that could go sideways at any moment. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So you also work with, uh, is it One Percenter Entertainment? Yeah, that's correct. That right? So that's our manager, Ryan, at One Percent Entertainment. He's been helping us out. And I think now that everything's opening up, hopefully we'll be working to get gigs with him, advising us on what to do as we do everything wrong. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to get some bigger shows and he's helping us uh, immensely with that. So how did you get hooked up and what made you sign on with like management uh, this early on? We've been self-producing so much in terms of putting our, our own marketing and it is a second job. It is, as any artist trying to make it professionally, not just music, will tell you it's takes so much of your time and energy and sometimes money to promote yourself that it can detract from the from from the craft itself and what we're trying to make and so we had tried to do it ourselves for so long and we still do a lot ourselves but we finally decided we wanted to accept someone coming on board and helping supplement that so that we didn't have to waste so much of our resources trying to keep up with that rat race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's right about the time that I think Ryan contacted us. So it was perfect. He found us on Instagram. Yeah. So, you know, you, you basically say that you would, you, you're not concerned. I've had some people that are so uh, control freak and they bootstrap everything yeah. and they're, they're worried about letting stuff go. So are you worried about, you know, not like the, I think the main worry with, with that, way of going about things is that people aren't going to love your craft and your your thing as much as you do so 
how important is it the relationship you have with the management? You mean in terms of him um, supporting the way we want to do things? Yeah, exactly. The the giving up of control was a conscious decision, and you're right that it that has to be an accepted part of it because mm. you know even when he offered to run our Instagram um, to take a load off of us. We're thinking, oh, what if someone messages and he doesn't message back the way we'd want to? Or when we have someone else making our music videos, we lose control of the of, of everything that goes into it and the outcome. And yet, even if it takes some pressure off of us, we lose ownership of the message of it or symbolism of it. And so it is a trade-off and it's tough to let go of the control because it affects our image. But he... Mm we know has the best intentions. He communicates with us as much as possible to clarify that we're on the same page, which I feel like is very important to not have anyone making moves on your behalf that, uh, that we can't stand behind and vice versa. Mm -hmm. We try not to embarrass him as much as possible. So, I mean, just thinking out, out of the box uh, right now, do you have kind of like a, a guideline or a manual or something like that? Cause in, in, in the corporate world, you often have, a manual for the image of the company. So it's like your typefaces and, you know, your colors and all, all that kind of stuff. And it's like a, a PR manual. And I'm just thinking maybe this could be something a band might take hold of and like say, all right, we we don't like this. We do like this. Here's, here's the things that we won't post. Here's the things that we absolutely will post. Like, do you have any any kind of guidelines like that together, or is it kind of as as needed basis? Yeah, you know, I think uh, open communication is always really important because, like you said, giving up creative control is really difficult. Kind of where do we draw the line and what we want to do, um, and versus what we want someone else to take over doing. But I think um, as far as guidelines, as long as you have open communication with everyone that you're working with, I don't feel that it ever impedes on our creative control necessarily. Agreed. In perfect world, yes, I think. We would run it like a business and have exact standards for this is the image we want to put out, have our branding spot on, but we kind of take it as we go. And that way we've never sat down to set them in stone because as we go forward, we can be flexible, things change and we evolve with it. And, mm. and we just make sure to check in with each other a lot to make sure there's been times when we aren't on the same page and then we have to catch back up and figure out our new strategy. But for the most part, you know, we have the same values and priorities and, but yes, to treat it like a business is, I think, important and having a sort of mission statement to follow. I think we do that just kind of uh, intuitively with each other. That's cool. So Mick, let's talk about gear because I like to get a bit nerdy with the guitar players usually. Okay. Or as everyone else, but that's okay. So I saw you got a Les Paul, but you've got the uh, the locking nut with a with a fine tune. Uh, is that the um, fixed bridge Floyd Rose kind of fine tune system? Exactly. Yeah. So you noticed that. So I have a Gibson Les Paul Goddess. So um, and it is modified. So it has a fixed tuning. So fine tuning below. Yeah. Uh, it's my favorite guitar out of all the guitars I have, it's the Gibson Goddess. So it's a smaller okay. um, guitar. It's a lighter guitar than the typical Les Paul. Uh, it's perfect guitar. They don't make it anymore, unfortunately, but yeah, probably my favorite guitar I've ever had. So why did you decide to put the uh, the tuning system on? I was going to make a joke about Gibson's tuning stability, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. so uh, we can Losers. blame it on Gibson or we can blame it on me. Maybe I bounce around <laughs> too much on stage. Maybe I run into too many things, but I knock myself out of tune all the time. So I really <laughs> like having the fine tuning control. <laughs> so we don't have to stop the set to uh, retune mid-song. <laughs> 
What are you running for amps and effects? Yeah, so um, right now I have a uh, I have a Line Six pedal board, kind of an older pedal board. I used to have a multitude of pedals, but switched over to Line Six, so I have everything in one place, portable. I also have a Marshall half stack, so it's the DSL head and mm-hmm. the cab's a, a vintage cab. So I'm really happy with that. I do lug it around to shows, the half stack, because I love the sound of it. That's great. A lot of what I what I did see, you know, during the pandemic, so many comedians ended up doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. So why why didn't you? I am in so many fields where I have a voice, but if I don't have anything to say that I find is important, I try not to speak until I do. And I didn't think I had anything worth adding in the podcast world. And I did try. I have my own web series that I shot a couple years ago and just picked up distribution. And the Mm. company that bought it wanted me to think up another show and or a podcast. And I thought and thought and thought and it just nothing seemed worth my time or worth adding or adding value to the general noise of the world. So I'm I, I held off. That's fair. How often do you do stand up? Daily. Like you go to a, a show daily or? I'm at least going to an open mic or more daily this next week. Things are finally opening up. So everyone's very excited to book mm. shows again. So this next week is an anomaly, but I have a show every night and I'm very grateful for it. <laughs> it's got to be one of the hardest things to do, I think, just based on what people have, have said. Think? And I think so. I mean... From from what I understand, from what people have said, just I, I you know I lo- I watch a lot of stand up and I I like the documentaries on it and people just say it's like the hot the hardest thing to do just from a nerves point of view, just because you're you're putting yourself out there and there's nothing like you don't have an amp to turn up you don't have a drum set to right. be behind it's just like that's it. I find it fascinating that. Every person I talk to who doesn't do stand-up seems to find it or give it so much credit. Yes, it is very challenging, Mm -hmm. just like any other profession, I imagine, or craft. And I wonder what it is to people looking in that scares them personally, or maybe not scares them, but makes them um, give it that much credit. Because, yes, it is scary, (laughs) or it can be. What am, where am I trying to go with this? I'm trying to say it's it's. I'm curious what each person, when they say that, thinks that maybe they can't do or wouldn't want to do that stand up entails. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like you're a performer, so to me it seems weird that anyone would would not want to try stand up themselves who's already comfortable with being on a stage in front of people. Oh, I'm not comfortable being on a stage. I don't I don't play anymore live. Oh yeah. I'm pretty much strictly studio. I have I experience so much anxiety. I just it's not something that I feel comfortable doing. I would rather sit and compose and put it in the in the laptop mm-hmm. and and do it be creative that way. But I yeah, I mean, I have a lot of uh, th- threads of jokes I think might be funny, but I don't think I'd ever go to an open mic and try it. I feel worse for newscasters because they're on the spot just as much as the stand-up comedian only about topics they haven't chosen and televised. I think they have it way harder, <laughs> way easier to mess up. That's that's true. And they have the uh, the 
the kind of threat of the corporate vision that they can't say something, they have to stay on script. Yeah. Otherwise, they pretty much get fired or canceled, which is even worse right now. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So let's move on to my uh, non-quickfire question round. What significant negative experience have you overcome and what did that teach you? You want to go first? Because I could go on all day. (laughs) (laughs) No, just with me, Meg. What negative? I would say, as far as negative experiences with the band, everything's been really positive. Sometimes just negative feedback online. I think being a girl group, you kind of, you know, open yourself up to that quite a bit, especially because media is so media is so focused on looks that um, being a musician Mm -hmm. and kind of being in that field is a little bit difficult. But I think it's only really made us stronger. Like any kind of negativity that's come in, any kind of criticism that's come in, it's always been welcomed. <laughs> uh, Simon, you you touched on briefly in your newsletter uh, some struggles you were having personally, and I think we chatted a little on Instagram before this yeah. about how our personal struggles come to the music, and that we're not just robots turning out production. Which I think people, when they consume music, believe that everyone is just a machine and everything goes by a formula and that they expect things from their artists because they think it's just magic proof that songs are going to come out the way they're going to come out. But really like our personal lives inform everything about our style and our choices, especially so, so much we've overcome to be here. (laughs) I think our songs reflect that too. A lot of them are written about kind of um, personal struggles that we've overcome, whether Mm -hmm. it's directly obvious or not, that's kind of, some of the undertones of the songs that we have. Mm. One of the songs I'm excited that we recently wrapped up production on and are releasing in two months. We're, we're st- we have a three song release coming up July 1st, August 1st, September 1st. Our next three songs will be dropping on Spotify. And I wrote it about some struggles I had with disordered eating and which is very sensitive to talk about, mm. especially because it kind of opens itself up to some ridicule, some sense of shame, but as I was writing it, it compared so, it had so many parallels to another very unhealthy relationship I had with a boyfriend in the past that I don't think anyone who's listened to it so far and even our sound engineer on it thought it was just about a, a guy-girl relationship gone wrong and he didn't see any of the other hints or innuendo in it, but someone I believe who's been through that mm-hmm. will know those undertones and will recognize and interpret that interpret it that way for themselves so everything we do even if it's not immediately obvious if someone were to ask us about the songs they probably have more layers than someone might realize yeah thank you for sharing and i think the more you put yourself out there it's basically like uh, this is one thing i have picked up from uh, stand-up comics is if you come out on stage and you say the, the the white elephant in the room whether it's your hair whether it's your you know something about your features your name if you say that up front, it takes away the power from the hecklers. And I think if you put yourself out there with what you're struggling with, you end up taking the power away from the people that are going to quote unquote ridicule you. And honestly, I don't, I don't feel like people that really matter are going to ridicule them. There's going to be some trolls here and there, but you know, it, I think the, the putting yourself out there, and people identifying and giving them kind of a like some some way of saying oh i feel the same way and and it gi- it gives them hope mm-hmm. that outweighs the bad you know 100% i totally agree every it's always worth it to put ourselves out there like that i think that's the benefit of being 
some stand-up shows and I've tried new material about heavier things, sometimes I haven't gotten as many laughs as I like, but then at the end of the show, I'll have mm. 30, 40 people coming up to me one after the other saying, oh my God, that's so true. Or, you know, I went through that too. And so even though my ego in the moment is a little like, oh, I wish I could have made it funny, at least I know that I gave something to them anyway, and that feels good. Absolutely. I just wanted to circle back on what uh, Mick said about the having the image and how, how that can be judged. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, that's the double-edged sword. You know, everything you do, we are visual species and everyone sees stuff first and then listens or then does whatever. But as a marketing thing, you have to know what your image is and you have to know what your branding is. So it's like you, you have this one thing where it's super important to know what it is, but then, oh, we, we're being judged on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree about that. It's, it's really a double-edged sword. You're either too good looking, not good looking. You're too short. You're too fat. You're too skinny. Uh, you're always one thing or the other when it comes to looks. So right. I think um, we've, we've dealt with that kind of in that. We've had some uh, lash, um, people kind of lash out about stuff, even even like looking at pictures on Instagram being like, yeah, well, what does the music sound like? I think some people don't realize they're looking at a picture and pictures don't have sound. Right. Just go, go listen to it. Yeah, exactly. But I was like, well, now I get to... Um, now I get to promote my band here. <laughs> <laughs> what a learning moment, teachable moment. Yeah. We've also, you, we put a great deal of effort into knowing how we come across uh, as far as like our, our music videos, a visual medium, obviously. And we've mm. made choices in them at times because we realized, oh, I, I think that might be hurtful or I think that might send the wrong message. So we changed the imagery or we changed the prop or the person that we use. And we're trying to do right, but anyone can look at, at a piece of art and pick it apart and find those bad things mm -hmm. if they want to look for it. And so we are open to, we have opened ourselves up just by putting things out there to people finding reasons to pick us apart or find a bad intention in what we've put out, even if it doesn't exist. And that's kind of disheartening to know that there are people there wanting to find yeah. that rather than just taking it as our best effort to put out some music. I think that with that said too, though, I wrote a song, it was called Buttercup about just all of the hate that people give out and how after reading through all that, it's like the more hate you get, it's really just the more attention you get and it's the more you can actually build yourself off of it. Mm. So it's actually not a horrible thing. It's something that's helped us write more songs. means we're doing something right. Yeah, <laughs> it means actually it helps we're, me write more songs. <laughs> we're basically on Kanye's level. Right? Yeah. You know, we just have haters and uh, that means we're there. We've made it. Yeah, good for uh, Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So what major positive experience has given you the push to follow this journey? The positive experience. I think the feedback, um, like playing a show, a lot of times we're the only girls on stage when we play shows and then after getting off stage girls will come up to us and be like so excited to see that they're kind of represented in the field of music as well, whether they're musicians or not. But um, that's been a lot of positive feedback that we've gotten from girls relating mm. to us and kind of looking up to us in that sense. So that's been definitely a positive thing. Yeah. And as far as coming to drumming and music late in the game, personally, what gave me the confidence to go in was, you know, we're in a city where, and I guess industry where there are so many people that you could that were being compared to and i just happen to have the greatest friends and mentors and peers here that encourage me and 
What am I trying to say? <laughs> Mick believed in me way more than I did at the start of the band and having outside voices that I could trust to override my internal voices that were saying, it's too late for you to do this. There's too many other people doing this. There are people that are better than you doing this. I quit the band twice actually. <laughs> and Mick has had to talk me back each time, essentially twice? reminding me. <laughs> oh, I forgot. I have are one you, coming are you up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this counts as one. Mick, Mick has I'm had, going solo. <laughs> uh, Mick has had to talk me down and reassure me that all the reasons that I thought I needed to quit in order to give her space to rock it off was no, like we're doing fine and you're doing fine and we can handle this. So I think having people you trust that you can rely on that give you some positive to outweigh your mental narrative is very important. Yeah, I think by far talking about the criticism that we receive, I think our internal criticism of ourselves is always going to be stronger than what somebody else could ever say about me. Because we know our secrets. Yeah, nobody else (laughs) could say anything about me worse than what I could say about myself. So I'll try. I'll try. I'll I'll give it a try for you. I just want to reference uh, something Martin Atkins said. Uh, he he was a recent guest on my podcast. He he said on on a talk that you know you Google whatever you do. There's always a four year old that can do it better than you. Yeah. And then the, the 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 funny part was that he said, "Well, you know, I'm a pilot. That doesn't apply to me." And then he posts this like kid that's like you know from China that's flying a biplane. He's <laughs> like he's scared of shit, but he's still flying. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's so true. Everyone keeps sending me drum videos of four-year-olds just shedding on the drums. And I'm like, why would this make me feel good? (laughs) Yeah, there's always someone better. but Yeah, but we're the ones doing it, uh, which has been the greatest realization. Yeah, no, like totally. It's it's how good you are at something is never that important. It's it's getting up and doing the thing. Because if you if you tell yourself, oh, there's someone better, you're not going to do it. But if you ignore that, you just keep doing it. And then hundred and something episodes later, you've got a podcast that's been around for two and a half years. Oh, yeah, like, you oh, do. Congrats. How did I do that? Who, I do yeah. that? So. yeah, I see the same thing when it comes to guitar. You always see someone shredding. And then mm. I always feel like I'm more of a singer-songwriter artist, not really a technical person. <laughs> And that's just code for lazy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I feel that, uh, yeah, there's, there's always going to be someone better, but I think just the more and more you do what you do, the better and better you'll get. Yeah, absolutely. What does music mean to you? Music. Oh, well, that's a lot. I feel like music is really kind of the narrative of my life. It's more like the musical of my life. It emotionally relates to me on all levels when I'm having fun it's there when I'm sad, it's there. It's just around me at all points of time. And it's just something that I've always related to. And I feel that music expresses my inner emotion and how I feel almost better than I could even express it. Sorry to reference a song that's not out yet again, but uh, (laughs) music, especially growing up, I had a kind of a difficult household and I had a bottom of the house bedroom where I would just blast my music all the time, which I think other people have done as well to get through difficult home situations and so I feel like music got me through a lot of hard times and one of the songs coming up that I wrote is a thank you kind of to all the artists who got me through growing up and the rough times and some of them are no longer with us unfortunately and it's also kind of an apology to them that they were able to help me through so much but they didn't realize how much 
I loved and appreciated them in return because they obviously don't know who I am or who their millions of fans are. And that's a real shame that an artist can have that impact and not even realize it. And so I think now being on the other side of making music instead of just consuming it, Mm. I want to give as much of myself personally in it and be real so that I can help other people through the way that they did for me. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think, yeah, talking about bands have influenced us so much. I feel like I've been raised by bands, almost like they were like my family members, my parents who raised me and made me who I am today. Awesome. All right. So if people want to find out about your music, listen to you, get in touch, where can they go? Please visit us on Spotify. We're at Mick and Maxie with the and sign. Mick is M-I-K. Maxie is, how do I spell my name? Not sure. I think it starts with an M. Yeah, I think it starts with an M. M-A-X-I. Or we're also on Instagram at... Make a match. Thank you. Yeah, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, SoundCloud. We're on YouTube. We have our website, makingmaxi.com. Thinking about an OnlyFans, maybe a Kickstarter for... One of those. Dating apps, profiles. You can find us on Hinge. We're everywhere. We're on the street corner. (laughs) You know what? I mean, joking aside, it, it does behoove people to kind of start looking at alternative platforms because... Uh, are you familiar with Simon Tam? No, at all. Sorry, he's uh, he see, so he's a punk. They they their band is called the Slants, and they started off as like a uh, they were doing comic cons and stuff because they were into anime. But he actually they were they were going on tour and they'd leave reviews for restaurants on Yelp. But he ended up putting his band information on the Yelp account, <laughs> and they eventually got like a. That like sponsored by the slants on uh, on the window of these restaurants, and they ended up giving out download codes on these stickers and oh like, wow, it was a complete you know direction into the into the uh, the band and yeah, you know, just creative. thinking outside yeah. the box. So you know maybe may I I mean maybe somebody has done a Tinder account for a band. I mean I, I, I actually I like have that. actually before got kicked off pretty got flagged pretty quickly. Nobody was sexually interested in my band, so it didn't work out. I think they were looking for threesomes at one point, but didn't work out too well. Hey, things to try though. Things to try, yeah. Oh, I was going to say another great thing. Um, well, also, when we start releasing all of our music, it'll be able to be found on our website as well. So, Yep, we're about um, to put up some spanking new merch, uh, mickandmaxi.com, that Mick designed. So, so if you want to wear our face, wearing, but, if you want you know, to wear our face, we will have merchandise with our face on it. So <laughs> exciting and high demand. Awesome. <laughs> I've always wanted to drop off moly on my own face. Yeah, you will be able to. Good. And the last thing I'd like to do is is play a, a song by the artist I'm interviewing. So what can we hear? Mm-hmm. Not, not sorry. Not sorry. Sounds good. Yeah, be more than happy to be not sorry. All right. And what's what? Can you tell us about that song? Is there a story behind it? Or there is. Yeah. So not sorry. Um, essentially, is kind of about growing up. Essentially, becoming a woman and like. The lyrics are really saying, you know, not sorry, no thank you. It's, uh, I'm not going to excuse myself. It's really uh, kind of flipping the script on the vocabulary that we use kind of when we're younger. Mm-hmm. We're always very apologetic in life. And when we grow up, we learn to kind of respect ourselves a little bit more and be less apologetic. So it's kind of, um, it's really fun to play live, to be screaming not sorry at people and uh, <laughs> no thank you and no actually excuse yourself. And so it's really kind of um a growing up experience and, you know, flipping the script on the vocab of how to respect yourself. 
It's a fun one. I think one of the coolest things about it, we got to work with one of our childhood idols. We got to work with Adrian Young from No Doubt for mixing and mastering. Oh, cool. So that was really exciting to be able to work with one too. Nice. Uh, yeah. That, I, Mick had to cover a lot of the verbal communication because I was screaming inside my own head the entire time. Awesome. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time and talking to me today. So continued success and please stay in touch. Simon, thank you so much and good luck with the podcast. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform as this really helps get the word out about the podcast so other musicians can benefit from the awesome knowledge that my guests are sharing. The more the musicians community collectively learns, the stronger we will become. A rising tide lifts all ships. This episode is sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Printing Company in Fort Worth, Texas, offering a full range of apparel decoration and promotional items, such as screen printing, embroidery, laser engraving, and much more. The Skinny Armadillo is now offering a merch fulfillment service, including on-demand printing and a custom-built web store, so you can concentrate on your music and running your business as a musician. Visit theskinnyarmadillo.com or call 817-546-1430 to learn how the Skinny Armadillo can help you take your merch to the next level. Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is Mick and Maxie with Sorry Not Sorry.
living this way I'm over it I'm over you So say goodbye and say so long And bye, four, three, two So sorry Not sorry